Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Henning, and we are at our final episode of 2022. It feels like we just started this process yesterday, and here we are in December wrapping up a year of Forge on the Go and the More Podcast. And as we roll into a holiday season that hopefully includes some much-needed rest and relaxation, we also get a fresh start on the new year. We've had some great insights over the last year of podcasts, and today we're going to recap some high points to reflect on and take into 2023. We're going to start off with Mark Core talking how dealers can leverage the things that they're the very best at to help bring more success to their brand and Yellow Iron as a whole. You know, maybe the million dollar, we used to say million dollar question, maybe with inflation, it's a $2 million question now. Um, you know, I, we've, we've talked a lot about this and, and uh, we've tried to help with this at times. You know, I think the reality is, and the data would say it every time uh, that we do a market research project, the brand first starts with the dealer. Um, we know that we can do some amazing things here in innovation and, and manufacturing and, and put a good product out there with good value at the right price under a, a long-term yellow color Vermeer brand, but... There are a tremendous amount of customers in the hay and forage that will follow the lead of our dealer, our trusted dealer, about what product is better to th for them. And so, um, you know, I really think, and, and as dealers, uh, as we all ramp up our marketing expertise and maybe our marketing budgets, um, that I think, uh, and I just am thinking about a lot of our dealers uh, that I've worked with for a long time, is... We're probably kind of a humble group too, right? Uh, the Vermeer family is a humble group. Some of our, a lot of our dealers are maybe almost too humble. And I do believe it starts with making sure a dealer can sell their brand, particularly to a competitive deal. Like that a dealer understands what makes them different than anybody else in their trade area. All successful companies have something that they're the very, very best at. And I think understanding what that is and how you express that and how you leverage that. You know, I think about uh, one of our very good industrial dealers that on a perspective or a conquest type customer, that customer comes and gets a tour of the part center. And that customer gets to meet each of the technicians and they, need, and they get to see the service trucks and how the service trucks are equipped um, where they're feeling not just the Vermeer brand, but they're feeling that dealership's brand and they're understanding what they can't get anywhere else. So I definitely would encourage uh, our dealer organization, and we need to help with this, is to be able to create your message, your elevator pitch, your marketing assets, your tagline, so that, what again, what you do better than anybody else is being expressed constantly in your marketplace. From there, uh, then it's the Vermeer brand, right? And, you know, I, I, I would hope uh, that our story is a good one to tell, that uh, we've been in the agricultural business and, and round balers for 50 years. Uh, we have not been acquired or, or uh, distracted by what most of our industry has been. If you look at the number of brands in the marketplace today compared to 40 or 50 years ago, uh, we've been very consistent to, to stay 
uh, very pure as a Vermeer owned and and, and uh, the family. Um, they talk a lot about a hundred years and more of private ownership and a consistent brand. <clears throat> and then again, it's just understanding and being able to express um, the innovation uh, that um, is around a company that specializes in one thing. And uh, we've got great competitors that are very wide in their product range that do a nice job with product. I'm not saying that, but I think it's really interesting to take a look at the number of things in the last 15 or 20 years, or maybe all the way back to the invention, just around round balers where we've been first um, in bringing a technology to the marketplace that solves a problem and uh, you know how that's expressed and, and how uh, that's supported. But I think we can do a lot of what I call air cover to help fill your marketing funnel. We can we can have great ads and we can have great social media and we can have a great dot com and do all that we, we can to provide you a chance of winning if you represent Vermeer. But at the end of the day, it comes down to uh, their belief in your knowledge, your passion, and what you stand for at a local dealership. And I like where we're at with that. And I know that why we're increasing share like we are today and why we're growing like we are today is the combination of where we're at as a as a OEM and where our dealers are at in terms of local brand. Of course, as we build our brand, there are always going to be sales objections. But how we handle those objections can often define what the end product of that sale is going to be. Next, we'll move into Brett Julian talking objection handling and maybe getting to the root of the issue and how we can handle that with customers. Objections are just another another piece of the problem-solving equation, quite frankly. It's just an extension of it at the end of the day. And, um, you know, we call them objections, and that's that's fine. That's the nomenclature for, for the sales world. But it's really, you know, if you stop and think about it, a customer is, ask, or is asking a question like, keep me, you know, keep it coming because I don't quite get it yet. Or this isn't fitting my operation, or maybe I didn't understand them properly and what they're really trying to do. And like, get your mind open at that point in time. And this is the last time you want to just like try to hammer it home and, and just outdo them because that will not work. Like, no, 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 you're wrong. You don't understand, so on and so forth. This is how this works. And you just kind of open up the whole sales piece again and like, tell me, tell me what I'm missing. Obviously, this this is not this is not resonating with you. Which which piece am I not getting here? And just open up the dialogue again and get them to start talking and to tell you what they're up against and how whatever solution that I've I've provided or have have suggested where is that falling short? And then you're on you're on to it again. Got to have some patience there. Our our tendency is to just try harder sell harder. I didn't, you know, I'm going to tell you the specs again and you just missed it and you just didn't quite get it. Well, that's not what they're up against. It could be cash flow issues. It's like, I like your solution. And very few people say, I just can't afford that. Or the way that you position the financing didn't work for me. And so you might need to dig that out a little bit more, but give them an opportunity and a safe place to speak about that not safe place like people talk about today, but it's like in an environment where I'm not putting you down and making you feel inferior or whatever. It's like, which, which piece of this is not working for you? Where, cause, and, it, and it could be, 
this the the machine or whatever it is is not what I needed. And uh, fair enough, that's that's okay. You you got to walk through that whole that whole process, and they may well be right. I may miss the complete mark of what they wanted. Um, I may be trying to sell them a mower conditioner, and they just need a mower, and I missed it, or or I'm hung up on trying to sell mower conditioners, or vice versa. But when it comes to the objection piece, it's 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 almost back to square one, quite honestly. And it's more about listening and trying to understand what did I miss? Where, where am I not resonating, connecting with you as a customer to help solve your problem? Because at the end of the day, it's the deal. You're solving a problem. You are trying to solve a problem with the solution that you have, whether it's parts, whether it's your service, or whether it's the whole goods that you represent. That's what you're trying to do. And you can't solve a, solve a problem until you know what that problem really is that that person's trying to, trying to solve. That's the fun part about all this. It's an intellectual game, you know, to some degree. But we tend to turn it into like a billy club deal. Like, no, I don't, that's not going to work. And then you just like, well, you go back and just say whatever you said before and just say it harder or more intense or more often. And we call it spray and pray to where you just talk and talk and talk and hope sooner or later somebody gets it and, and goes on. That just never works. So once we've handled those objections and made the sale, that customer journey is just beginning. We're going to listen in on an example Bart Elder has of winter maintenance and how we can propel customers into having a better experience uh, by getting them in for that winter maintenance and making sure their machine is ready to go and using the perks that we at Vermeer extend for those programs. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind for me, Ed, is, uh, you know, I had a, a, a dealer, uh, Woodford Equipment, and they, uh, they did a phenomenal job of through the winter of training those customers again right out the gate of that first year of, of bringing that baler in, getting it serviced, getting it uh, ready for season and uh, going through a season without virtually any problems and really seeing the value of bringing that equipment in and, and getting it ready for season. You know, one thing I, you know, I think about too is some customers may think my baler ran fine last year. I don't really want to spend the money. I don't see the value, but, um, you know, there's always, there's always things that a dealership can do to encourage that customer to bring in this case, a baler in it's, there's always service bulletins. There's, there's monitor uh, revisions that need to be done lots of times to make sure that, that that's gonna, baler's gonna operate well throughout the year. Another dealership that comes to mind that, that has done very well with this is uh, a better equipment. And I think their success was of customers were sharing with them their experience and appreciating the value that that service techs did at that dealership to get that, that baler ready and not have to worry about it in season. The off-season isn't just an opportunity for a tune-up on customers' machines either. Let's listen in on Alex Bone's example of how we can get a tune-up at the dealership level to be more prepared rolling into 2023. From a whole territory's perspective, I'm... I'm going to try to dial into um, a specific deal here in a minute, but we saw we saw some great success this year with the parts training. And the reason I'm bringing that up as a whole is we got sales and parts guys together, and it was more value added for everybody because now the, the sales guys understood what the parts guys are doing. The parts guys saw a perspective of what the sales guys are doing, and we did walk-arounds from a sales perspective, and we did it from a parts perspective. And doing two different views of that, both started understanding and realizing what the other person needed when an evaluation on a used machine is being done or what items they need to prepare for if the used machine got traded for and so on. 
and when they need to do a facelift on the machine and so on. Was spring stock order kept in mind per se? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a great refresher, but it was having the sales understand the perspective of the parts um, across the whole territory. That's going to cause them to intermesh and kind of get the cogs to start turning together at the dealership. So more value added all the way through. With parts reporting, um, I we had that parts training and there was a, a light bulb switched on in training because of that. And there's a lot of dealers that are just simply asking the question of, hey, I got I got QuickBooks now. I have Aspen. I have DIS. Can we integrate that? Can we can we get them talking to your system? And if we look at the lifecycle binder, the answer in a lot of in a lot of scenarios is yes. Yeah, we can. And it's, it's literally that simple. So everybody's starting to understand the supply constraints we've been through anymore. Now that we're a good a good year in, I'm not saying it's not a valid excuse anymore, but we've all heard it. So we just need to do better with what resources we have around us and utilize them to the best of our abilities. Parts reporting being one of them, and inventory around us that we can share uh, being one of them. Um, that's that's the success story I've seen amongst my dealers of, of utilizing the resources better um, that they had at their disposal. That really didn't cost them in the first place. Another common theme across the podcast we had this year was finding the answers we want inside of data. Rob Long talked quite a bit about using data and numbers to make the right decisions on a management level for operations. And that's also something that we can do at the dealership level and the factory level. If we can be more informed in our decisions, we can make better ones. Let's listen in on the impact that Rob Long found on their operation that a Vermeer vertical mixer can make and maybe think about how we can extend that data on someone's own operation to make an informed decision and be a trusted advisor to their operation and make sure that we are giving them the right fit and show them what that difference can be. Well, we made that switch several years ago here um, just for that fact as our numbers of cows increased, um, you know, we're, we're analytical type people. We measure everything. As uh, I wish most of our customers would put numbers to it. You know, numbers don't lie when you put the truth to it. And, uh, um, you know, we got to the point where we decided that uh, we definitely need to utilize a, a vertical mixer to increase some of our efficiencies around here. And we, we took a really big dive into it this year. We've always tracked our feed costs and feed stuffs and things like that, but we really started to put some true numbers to, uh, um, you know, what we were doing in the past, maybe just feeding out of hay rings and versus our TMR. And, and to be quite honest with you, Ed, uh, to keep a long story short, we kind of ran some of our own home experiments uh, this spring and, and uh, we actually did it the old-fashioned, probably college intern way. Uh, um, we actually raked feed back up and scooped it into our into our loader bucket and weighed it back into our vertical mixer, so we so we knew. But uh, you know, our past experience—if you're feeding in the hay rings versus going to a TMR mixer—I I, I think you're kidding yourself if you think you got anything less than 15% waste. Um, I think that waste is probably closer to 15 to 20%. We put some quick dollars to that this year at $130 ton to hay, even only at 12% waste. That's that's equating about $55 a head. Um, so you know, running that through the right, you can pay for you can pay for a TMR wagon pretty quick when you start talking those kind of dollars. So makes it makes a big difference. Not only that, um, you know, back to our quality talk that we had earlier there. You know, you you're just you're feeding and consuming everything that you offer to that cow. Whereas in the bale rings or a different feeding method or, you know, maybe unrolling, you're back to that waste deal again and, and you're just not. And, and, and basically on the cow-calf nutrition side, 
plain and simple, it's about getting nutrients into that cow. And again, you know, if you're not measuring it, you know, if you're putting out 50 pounds a head a day to that cow and you're you're losing 10, 12% shrink, that's 5, 10, 12 pounds a head that you're not getting into that cow a day from what you're delivering. So you may actually think you're delivering X amount, but that you're not getting that into the cow. So therefore with the TMR mixtures, we can ensure that what, what we're putting, you know, delivering that's getting into that cow while we reflected on the numbers we also had some reflection on work-life balance being a part of the community and what you can do to give back to that alan branham had some thoughts on what being an equipment dealer really entails and what that means to the customer one thing you gotta you gotta love what you do because it's gonna i mean that's in anything that you do any job that you have or any endeavor that you take anything that you serve on uh, you got to really love what you do and, and put forth all your effort into it. One thing that, that we've really focused on here at our dealership is, you know, customer service. And it's it's one of those deals where I, I tell everybody that everybody ought to have to deal with the public. It makes you a better customer um, when you when you leave the dealership. But, but the thing you got to realize is that whether it be the community or the customers, if you take care of them, they're going to take care of you. And... Um, you know, I didn't realize that when I became a premier dealer, I was also going to be a banker and I was going to be a psychologist. And, you know, you get to deal with lots of lots of other issues other than a hay bader breaking down. Um, you know, just being able to listen, uh, listen to what what your customers are going through, whether it be, you know, a death in the family, whether it be somebody being sick in the family, whether it be the hay not growing. I mean, you just got to listen to your customers and, and sometimes they just need to talk about things that, that aren't really, um, maybe not be pertinent to, to what's going on in the, in there at the counter, but, uh, you know, it's, it's pertinent to them. And I think we got to do that with our families as well and, uh, got to take time to listen to them. And, and, uh, that's something that I, I tend to struggle with because, uh, in the hay season, it's hay season. And uh, we got to get things done and, and me having to realize that I need to stop and listen to my family and, and take time with them. Uh, now, that, like I said, they may disagree with you that I'm not I'm not telling the truth, but um, I really, really do try to take time with my family and and uh, listen to them and spend some time with them. And uh, being able to set those boundaries is really tough, uh, but you just have to find that balance and act. And it just takes time to figure out how to do that. As Alan noted, taking the time to listen is an important piece of any interaction, whether that be with your family or a customer. Another piece of listening in is finding ways to innovate and listening to the world around you and finding ways to carry that into a good innovation that can help you at your dealership or maybe a product innovation. Let's listen in on Tyler Schifferl talking about innovation at Vermeer and maybe think about how that can propel innovation inside of our dealerships to have better processes or do things a different way that can set us up for success. So as an engineer here at Vermeer, one thing I just absolutely love is that spirit of innovation that you talk about. As we think about, uh, so Gary Vermeer, uh, the founder of Vermeer, one thing that he was quoted saying often was if 50% if of the things that you're trying aren't failing, you're not trying enough new and different things. And so I love that, that, that innovation spirit carries on here today. And so the idea that we are encouraged in the engineering department, try new ideas. What, what are some new things we can try? How can we stretch the boundaries? How can we do things uh, that are going to not only benefit our customers, but that are going to be new and innovative that people haven't thought of before? 
So I think it's that culture that Gary started and that has continued uh, all the way up until now and now continues into the future that gives us that latitude, that freedom to try new things like Ken Thompson and his group to try this self-propelled baler and what could that look like and gives us that freedom to try it. And, and some of these things hit and, and some do not. The thing that's even, even the things that don't maybe hit or don't go to market, we learn so much through the research and development of what we do. We can incorporate that into the products like the ZR5 that do come to market. Once innovation is there, there often comes a stepping off point that requires some faith. Jordan Schuler shared a story of how believing in himself allowed his grandfather to propel Schuler Manufacturing to where it is today as Vermeer Feeding Solutions and an important lesson on betting on yourself to take the next step with something you're passionate about. My grandfather started the business in 1964 with the motivation from being a cattleman and farmer himself. And uh, he's written actually a little bit of a of a book about his life and uh he's he, he talks about how in the early 60s and specifically in 1963 how he had just kind of had enough of feeding cattle with a bucket and by hand and the need for a more efficient manner of feeding and uh he did some some looking some research some some running around the countryside trying to find somebody that was making some sort of a feed wagon or something that was geared towards that cattle feeding and, and, a, and a mechanism just didn't exist, um, at least not that he desired. So that uh, winter, uh, he, you know, in his spare time, uh, mostly nights, fabricated, built um, his first feed wagon and uh, utilized that for himself. And in that caught some interest of some local cattle farmers and felt enough motivation and leading that uh, he he wanted to make a run at that uh, as as business. Uh, in his words, he would tell you he was a pretty poor farmer and a really bad cattleman. Um, he had more of an engineer's mind and, and desire to to do that kind of work. So he he ran around, uh, met with different uh, committees and, and and cities and investors in Southwest Iowa. And uh, the short story would be nobody wanted to take a chance on him. Nobody wanted to invest in this business uh, idea that he had. He thought that he had something locked up with the town of Griswold. And then uh, a few days after that meeting happened, they decided that they weren't going to go forward with that after they had reached uh, or reached out for some outside counsel. Um, and when he left that meeting, my my grandfather's a, a man of God. He fears the Lord, uh, you know, spends a lot of time in prayer. And he was praying on the way home from that meeting and and was discouraged and upset and he wouldn't say that there was, you know, an audible voice of God, but he really felt, he really felt, the, uh, you know, the Lord just telling him, you know, you've you've reached out to a lot of people for help, but you haven't reached out to me. And uh, at that point, he went home, told my grandma they were going to sell all the assets that they had on their farm, minus the land. They kept the land, um, but they sold everything else and um, made a go of the business. It was very hand to mouth for four, five, six years. They'd make a wagon, he'd get on the road and sell it. And uh, with that money, they'd put it back into the business and make another wagon and he'd go out and sell it. And it stayed that way for for quite a while um, or, you know, a handful of years before things really took off. But when they took off, it went uh, pretty crazy pretty quickly. Even with belief to take the next step, there are undoubtedly going to be some trying times. Our November episode focused on being a trusted advisor through a drought 
And Craig Eubank shared some great thoughts in working to take ourselves and our customers to the next level to both survive and thrive in hard times, coming out better on the other end. But one of the things that I think that that this, going through this drought, going through some of the financial times that we're going through right now, I think one of the interesting things is going to be um, we're going to have to all become better managers. I'm going to have to become a better manager of my, my personal farm. I'm going to have to become a better manager of Eubank's equipment. Vermeer is going to have to become a vet better manager and so on and so forth. And I think this is a chance for us to really all buckle down. You use the word efficiency. I think that is something that's going to have to rise to the top because we're going to have to have to squeeze every drop out of this thing to get through some of these times. So that's what I see coming down the pike. And then, so speaking of efficiencies, you know, once again, that brings us right back to the vertical mixers, the bell processors, the large trail mowers, self-propelled balers, so on and so forth. And it's not always about sales. You know, it's, sometimes it's about what fits that person's operation. What fits its operation might be two 10-foot mowers. It might be, it might be a, a bell processor, not, not, not the investment of a vertical mixer. Moral of the story to me is over the next few years, we're all going to have to buckle down and become better managers to get through some of these things that, have, that are going to present us or that are here now and that we're going to have to walk through. A new year is a great opportunity to fresh start in our thinking and our strategies. Our call to action this month is to take some time for reflection on the year that was and the ideas we were able to collect and ways those ideas can help make 2023 even better than the year that was. I'm so excited to see what 2023 will bring for Vermeer and our dealers, and I hope you all feel refreshed and passionate rolling into the new year. See you in January, and hope this podcast has equipped you to do more in 2023.